I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Save America with your host, Sean Parnell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Battleground Live. It's great to have you here. Just a quick heads up in advance. See these white headphones? I've got these new white headphones in. They're AirPods. I don't really like doing the show with them, uh, but I'm doing uh, the show with them today, obviously. So if you see me doing like this most of the show, it's because I'm wearing headphones that I don't like. And yes, I know. Brock is probably watching and saying, Sean, why are you even drawing attention to this? Why are you talking about this? Just wear the big headphones. Look, let me show you something. I don't like these. They make me look like an alien. You see these right here? I'm not a disc jockey or radio host. These kind of make me look weird, don't you think? But at any rate, I am moving out and drawing fire with the AirPods today, but thank you all for joining Battleground Live. It has been an absolute crazy day for me here in Fort Parnell. All good things, um, but I want to tell you a quick personal story about, um, you know, while people get loaded on uh, into Rumble, uh, that I it's just something that's been on my mind today. Um, it's always around this time of year that I think about this this one particular engagement that we had in Afghanistan late t- towards the tail end of our deployment. Now, we were supposed to be in Afghanistan for a year. It ended up being 16 months. Many of you all know this, so, so many of these stories already, especially if you've been listening to me for a while. Um, but towards the tail end of our deployment, we got pounded with rockets every single day. I mean, when I say thousands of indirect fire engagements, this is exactly what I mean, right? And uh, towards the tail end, not only were we getting hit with 107 millimeter rockets, we were getting hit with 122 millimeter rockets. And 122 millimeter rockets are are this big. I mean, they're well over six feet long. Uh, and when they hit, they hit different. <laughs> the explosions are much, much bigger, much more devastating than than 107. And they can be fired uh, from a max effective range, a max effective distance from something like, I mean, they were firing them from Pakistan at us and and they were landing accurately, but something like 50 or 60 clicks away. So kilom- clicks is a kilometer. So for months, we endured these rocket attacks on our base. And the reason why that was just living through that was just hell was because it's like you get accustomed to dealing with direct fire. You get accustomed to people shooting at you in combat. It's just your way of life. And with direct fire, at least you know where your enemy is shooting at you from so that you you can aim your rifle back and shoot. Um and flank or do some sort of maneuver to fight back. The thing with indirect fire is that it gets fired at you and doesn't matter where you are, you'd be eating in the chow hall, you could be sleeping, you could be pulling guard duty at the front gate. If it lands in your vicinity, you're dead. And if you get caught in an indirect fire battery or a barrage, 
uh, and you're trying to take cover, you're it's it's almost like a form of psychological torture. And in fact, that's why, you know, the Germans or the Germans in World War Two or even the Americans to a certain extent. That's why uh, we put whistles in the bombs that we drop from airplanes to ramp up the psychological effects that it has on people. Um, well, indirect fire is almost like a form of psychological torture where you're just, you're just sitting there waiting to die, accepting your fate, not knowing when it's going to come or if it's going to come. Um, and it was a really tough way to live towards the, and, and, and the reason why I'm telling you this is like always in November, I'm reminded of this for, there's something in the air that smells like Afghanistan. Maybe it's that brisk, <laughs> brisk air going into winter. It's getting a little bit colder. I don't know, but something about November triggers all of these memories in me. And hey, look, this is a daily show, so we're on this journey together. <laughs> so you're gonna hear, obviously you're gonna hear about some of these stories, uh, and this tethers to politics a little bit too. As I get on with the show, I'll tell you why. Um, but there came a point in time during those barrages where my battalion commander said, "You know what? We're done. We're not taking this anymore. We're going on offense. We're changing our tactics. We're evolving." And we are going to do a battalion mission. A battalion's like 800 plus soldiers. But we're going to do a battalion mission. And we are going to march from this fire base that's five, six kilometers away. We're going to march almost on a line from this point all through the mountainous border region between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And we are going to finish on the border of Pakistan. And we are going to find and kill these, these a-holes who are firing these rockets at us and trying to kill Americans. And so... When we got that mission, we were like, holy smokes, this is kind of a big deal. But we were also kind of like, oh, we don't want to do it because at this point, this is the tail end of the deployment. Nobody wants to be the last person killed at the tail end of a deployment. And you especially don't want to assume that much tactical risk at the tail end of the, of the deployment. Now, the other part of it, why so many of my platoon were kind of like, ugh, not that we didn't want to kill the enemy because we did. We wanted to stop these attacks. But we also knew that through 12 months of the deployment, my platoon tended to be the, what they call the main effort, or we, we advanced at the tip of the spear on almost all things. So we knew that when this mission came down, that we would almost, I got to get rid of these headphones. Like, give me one second. Um, we knew that when this mission came down, we would be almost assuredly, we'd be almost assuredly the main effort, you know, leading, leading the entire battalion, um, on this mission. So we were kind of like bummed out about that and we didn't really want to do it. Um, now battalion came down and in mass again, 800 soldiers that were spread all up and down the border in my region. And we started the mission and, um, we started this place, this opening, this, this like big opening into this Wadi system that ran right from where we were outside our base all the way to the border and a Wadi system in Afghanistan. It's not a paved road at all. It's just a dirt road with mountains on either side of it. And, and, and when I talk about these mountains, I mean, these are the subset of the Hindu Kush mountains. These places, this is no joke. These, you know, <laughs> places like this in Afghanistan, I mean, these subset of the Himalayas. And so we get on this mission and we get right to the mall of Route Trans Am and this Wadi system. And my platoon pulls up front, front, main effort all the way, right? And out of nowhere, we see five enemy fighters. And by the way, when, when you get ambushed by the enemy, it it's very hard to see them. I mean, oftentimes you don't see them until they're shooting at you. So these guys come out from this Wadi system. They come out from this Wadi system. They're 
dressed all in black. They've got their AK-47s in the air, and they got these crisscrossed AK-47 7.62 machine gun belts that they're wearing on their chest like they're John Rambo or something like that. They start making all these noises, holding up their rifles, screaming, yelling, trying to get our attention. Well, as at my platoon, we saw them very, very clearly. And along on this mission with us was the Afghan National Army. They were just they they patrolled dismounted on top of the mountains. And our job was to handle the low ground with our armored vehicles and crew serve machine guns and things like that. And so. Immediately, we're thinking, like, wow, gosh, something isn't right here. Like the enemy almost never shows themselves. And as we're thinking through this, the enemy dashed right down this wadi system, this path that they that they were that they had merged from again, and they were gone just as fast as they arrived. And on comms on my radio, I could hear the Afghan National Army on top of the hills all around us freaking out, and they gave chase immediately. And the Marines that were embedded with them were like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. It was too late. There's a language barrier there. The Afghan National Army was on the move. And folks, I got to tell you, they get they get baited into this ambush, the likes of which we had not seen before. I mean, when I talk about evolving tactics, like here you have my battalion commander. Hey, we got to evolve tactics because I'm tired of getting pounded with these rockets. So we're going after these a-holes. Well, the enemy had anticipated that and then evolved tactics as well. And instead of surprising us with an ambush, they baited us into them. Although we as Americans didn't fall into that trap. The Afghan National Army on tops of the hills with the uh, with the Marine Corps embedded with them that were teaching them, coaching them, training them. They did not the Marines, but the Afghan National Army did. So, of course, the Marines have to charge in with them. And I have to tell you, folks, they get pinned down almost immediately by a superior enemy force. And and some of these Marines that were there with them um, and one Marine that was a lieutenant counterpart with me that I talked to this guy all the time. He took a bullet right to the pelvis, and it was just right at the point where his upper leg reached his pelvis, his pelvis. And he had there was fears that his femoral artery wasn't severed, but it was nicked and it was beginning to retract up up into the pelvis. And as it retracted, the artery itself will tear. And if your femoral artery tears while you're on the battlefield in a remote place like we were, you're dead in a couple of minutes. And it's just it's a death sentence. And so there was a sense of urgency among Americans, among us on the ground to get to the Americans. Obviously, we obviously we wanted to help the Afghan National Army, but we also wanted to get to our Americans who were shot up badly, trapped and cut off. And we didn't really know what to do. My platoon's on the on the very tip of the spear, and I immediately get on the radio to our battalion commander, who was just right behind us in a tactical column behind us. And I said, you know, you know, Cat Six, this is Blackhawk Three Six. I was Outlaw Six. My platoon's name was Outlaw Platoon, uh, but my call sign in Afghanistan was Blackhawk Three Six. And I said, you know, Cat Six, this is Blackhawk Three Six. Send us in. We got to go get these Marines. Um, he's like, you want to go in there? And I said, absolutely. And I looked at all of my soldiers who were in and the Humvees with me. And now keep in mind, this is the tail end of the deployment. And remember what I said to you, that nobody wants to be the last person killed <laughs> on, the, on the deployment that's all almost over. And to a man, every single person in my platoon was like, yeah, let's go. So we saddled up into our trucks and we drove headlong into the kill zone. And when I say it was a kill zone, it was like really nothing that we had experienced before. It was sophisticated. The enemy had picked a spot where we drove, we drove into and there were cliffs on either side of us, so we couldn't take our machine guns and traverse them high enough to actually hit the enemy targets at the top of the hill. You talk about evolving their tactics. 
Well, we had pounded the enemy for almost a year with our crew serve machine guns on top of our Humvees, and they evolved their tactics to prevent us from using those crew serve machine guns. So again, you couldn't take a 50 caliber machine gun and push it down low enough to get the barrel oriented high enough to hit the guys that were shooting us up on top of the hill. They completely neutralized that threat from us. And so our gunners had to abandon the crew serve weapons and use rifles. And as people were popping out of the turret, I remember right in front of me, um, I had one a sniper that was attached to my platoon that was firing from the turret and was shooting these targets at, on top of the hill. He had taken a bullet to the head right in the helmet and dropped down in the turret. And the next guy in my truck, uh, St. Jean, is from Haiti. We called him the Haitian Hammer. <laughs> he pops up in the turret. And I'm watching because this truck's right in front of me, right? And I'm on the radio trying to coordinate all this. And he's up in the in the turret firing his rifle and in a tree, right? Just right out of the corner of my eye. I see in a tree right next to the window of my truck. Because again, there's a cliff with these crazy trees growing out. It's like Afghanistan. It's almost like it's almost like prehistoric times. Like honest to God, like that Afghanistan, like one of the best ways that I could explain it is like the Flintstones, all the Afghan fighters meet the Jetsons as us as Americans with all the technology and body armor. Sometimes I think that we must have looked like aliens to some of these people. Um, but there was a fighter hanging in a tree right to the right of my truck. And he sh he was a sniper who was shooting at gunners in the turret. And just as I realized that St. Jean in the truck in front of me realized it as well, he leveled his rifle at this sniper. The sniper leveled his rifle at St. Jean. They both fired at the same time. St. Jean's bullet hit him in the stomach. Sniper topples out of the tree, lands right next to my truck. Bullet hits St. Jean in the head, and he falls into the turret. And I mean, all the while, we're my, all of my trucks are just getting hammered in this kill zone. Um, and you know, windows are shattering. We had bulletproof glass, thankfully, but I mean, it was just chaos. And eventually, we took so many casualties trying to find the Marines. I had to break contact, leave the kill zone. Uh, treat our casualties and then go back in. So we we broke contact. We get out. Saint Jean, listen to this, folks. You want to? You want to? This is why I I believe in a higher power because I do feel like in many ways there is an angel looking over our shoulder in so many ways in Afghanistan. A bullet had penetrated John Saint Jean's helmet, went through his helmet, went through his skin right here, hit his skull and skirt around his skull and exited the back. His skull, the helmet had slowed the bullet enough that his skull stopped it. And when it hit his skull, it ricocheted around the side of his head, underneath his skin the whole time in an exit wound. The I mean, he survived. He was back on the battlefield in two days. Um, and God was with us every step of the way, I'm telling you. And this I think, is another reason why they say there are no atheists in foxholes. Um, but so we get out of there and Sergeant Hall comes up to me. He said, sir. You're not going to be able to get them out of there dismounted. They're they're cut off. They're up at the top of those mountains. Send my squad in to go evacuate them. I'm I'm a you know a pathfinder. In other words, a pathfinder is somebody who's qualified to land a helicopter in very hostile regions. And so he's like, send me in there. I'll get them out. And I said, you want to go back in there? He said, yes, I do. So we sent him in there, and I just see Sergeant Hall who saunter up this hill with his squad. And two three hours later. Uh, we have helicopters on station. Um, they, they're within two or three hours. We had helicopters on station. They had put in a jungle penetrator to pull them out. Jungle penetrator is like a big cord from a helicopter. Load, you know, load the casualty on this litter, and the helicopter pulls the cord back up. Sergeant Hall coordinated all this, and all the while, the reason why it took so long is that the enemy was shooting at our helicopters and shot a couple of Apaches right in the fuel tank where they had to break contact. Apache helicopters had to break contact 
and fly back to base because they were damaged. Well, eventually we got a Blackhawk in. We got the Marine out. Sergeant Hall comes down from, from, from this mission. He's just like covered from head to toe in like dirt and everything else. He's got blood all over him from this guy because he had treated it. He, he ended up fighting through two different sets of enemy lines to get to this Marine. When he got to this Marine, he administered first aid. He 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 applied a tourniquet. He had the Marines' blood on him. It was just chaos. Comes down, he's smoking a cigarette. And he said, sir, we got the Marine out of here. We can continue mission. And he said, oh, yeah, sir. He says, he's walking away. And he turns around. He said, don't even think about putting me in for an award for any of that. I don't need an award for just doing my job. And that stuck with me, you know? And... So Sergeant Hall, he was just, he was a great guy, but he goes, so we come, uh, come back from Afghanistan after what we thought was going to be a 12 month deployment was turned out to be a 16 month deployment. Um, we finally make it home. And I mean, seriously, so we get extended the day before we're supposed to come home. We finally make it home. Um, I mean, seriously, by the grace of God alone, we make it home and no joke. We're back at in the state in stateside been home for a couple of weeks we get orders from the army to turn around and go back to afghanistan in nine months <laughs> i mean it's so crazy so my platoon gets ready to go back to afghanistan i was wounded and on my way out um but i was still the uh, a, a company executive officer and i filled in as company commander and then I became battalion rear detachment commander the story isn't about me but sergeant hall becomes a senior leader in my platoon gets promoted and everything everything else takes the guys back to Afghanistan on a second deployment there. And I think in June, on June 1st, 2009, he was leading a uh, patrol to do humanitarian assistance, bring in coloring books, crayons, food, blankets to Afghan families and children and things like that. Cause we built lots of schools, put in wells and things like that. We did a good job at that stuff, folks, but it wasn't our job. Okay. Our job as light infantry was to find, fix, finish the enemy. So Sergeant Hall is out there leading a humanitarian patrol. His up-armored truck hits an improvised explosive device and kills him instantly, kills a couple of other people in the, in, in the Humvee. The gunner somehow survived, but I think he's since passed away as well. And when I talk about foreign policy, when I talk about war, whether it's in Israel or Ukraine, this is the stuff that's always on my mind. Like I look back on, on Afghanistan, and I told you in November, I don't know why. It's just something in the air that I just I just remember this stuff. But this is what I'm thinking about. Like when people ask me, was Afghanistan worth it? Was it worth Jeff Hall? Absolutely freaking not. Is it worth any American who lost? I mean, absolutely not. This this is where I'm coming from when I talk about making sure that the causes America gets entangled in are just and worthy. Because, you know, Sergeant Hall was married and had a little girl named Audrey, and she was brand new baby when he died. So she had grown up without a father. Now, I think his, you know, his widow has since remarried and she's happily remarried. And I'm, I'm so glad for that. But it's just like, that little girl had to grow up without a father because of some politician fighting in an endless war. And it just upsets me. And for some reason in November, I'm thinking about that. But I thought about that story in the context of the show because, you know, when you're fighting in combat, 
And I know I talk a lot about Afghanistan. I talk a lot about combat. Some of you are like, oh, my God, all this guy talks about is the military. But you have to understand that was a formative experience in my life that sort of shaped how I see everything. And when life and death is on the line, you boils things down to very simple ways. You see with unbelievable clarity when you can, you know, a decision that you make and cause people to live or die. And every day that's, that's, you know, a risk. So I talk in the context of evolving, evolving our strategies, making sure that we're constantly thinking, making sure that we're constantly looking at what the enemy does and changing our tactics. And I've talked about on the show how DeSantis hitting below the belt and saying that, you know, oh, Trump called Hezbollah smart. I can't believe Trump's being nice to Hezbollah. Well, based on what I just told you, wouldn't you say that Hezbollah, because the people that we were fighting were Iranian-trained terrorists, don't you think that they're pretty damn smart to bait, America, to bait Afghan National Army and have Americans scratching their head on the battlefield? Some of these people that we were fighting over there were some of the best light infantry troops that you could possibly imagine. Think about it like this. Your average Hezbollah operative or Al-Qaeda operative or Haqqani network or Afghan fighter has 10 years combat experience on your average American private. So. You know, these are people who fought against the Russians in the 80s and the Afghan civil war in the 90s and against Americans in, in a post 9-11 world. These people know what they're doing. And Trump was right to say that they were smart. And it's, it's a good thing, you know, you're taught in the military to respect your enemies, because if you don't, you end up it's like Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get hit with the first punch. The enemy has a vote. And so this is why, you know, I talk about Republicans and politics being like war just without the bullets. And this is why I didn't get enough opportunity to talk to you all about this yesterday when I showed the Steve Bannon clip and, and Republicans starting to focus on a different way and fight back. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. But I, I want to go over like the bewaring, uh, beware of stock platitudes. I want to cover that Steve Bannon clip that I showed yesterday. So if, if you didn't tune in yesterday, it's okay. I'm going to show it again today. Um, so I'm going to show you that in a second. But thank you for 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 listening to me tell that personal story. Um, but, but before I get into the political stuff and the Steve Bannon stuff, let me just first thank um, Deepwell for and, and Cabot Guns for sponsoring this program. Uh, they're the two founding sponsors of Battleground Live. We wouldn't be where we are today without your trust and faith in me and in the concept of the show. So thank you. Um, also, for those of you all who watch the show on Red Voice Media, uh, you, you know, you're new to Battleground Live. You don't know who I am or people that have been in the trenches with me uh, for a long time. I just want to say thank you all. Um, you know. It doesn't matter what the day holds for me. I mean, whether it's a crazy day or kind of a laid back day, I look forward to getting in this chair and engaging with you all every day. I, this show is for you. It will always be for you. So if you're here with me in the trenches, whether you're on Red Voice Media, make your way over here to my Rumble page, subscribe to Battleground Live. And if you're watching from Battleground Live, subscribe to Red Voice Media. Conservatives need to have overlapping fields of fire because in these trying times, we need to have each other's backs. And so those those of us who think the same way, who believe in, in, in American exceptionalism in our Constitution, we got to have each other's sixes. We got to be battle buddies here. So support, you know, support each Rumble page. And of course, if you're watching this video, make sure you smash that like button. It matters a lot to some super smart people who are kind of geeky, probably or sitting behind computers at Rumble and with the algorithm stuff that I don't quite understand. It matters a lot. So smash that like button, subscribe to the show. Um, also, uh, so let me just get right into this. I've, I've, I've wasted 
you know, they tell you you're not supposed to do on shows long intros like that. But, you know, I, I it just is what it is. We're on this journey together. Right. Um, OK, so let me let before before I jump into Bannon, I, something caught my eye with Trump. Um, I know President Trump to be. Just a really, really great guy. Um, met him in, met him in person. He was super hospitable. He was unbelievably kind. Um, he really makes you feel like you're there with him, whether you're talking to him on the phone or you're meeting with him in person. He looks you in the eye. He listens. He nods his head. Now, if he's if he's in an actual meeting with you, trying to get information out of you or negotiating with you, he will keep you on your heels the whole time. Like I'm telling you, when I left that meeting, my first meeting with President Trump, I I thought to myself, oh, I turned to Mel- Melanie, Commander Melanie, and I said, oh my God, I don't know if this guy likes or or hates me. <laughs> so he was just he keeps you on your toes. He asks a lot of questions. He interrupts you at key times. Um, but the media is hell bent, and I, we've we've been exposing here on this show how the media has been hell bent on you know painting Donald Trump to be this crazy. He's like Hitler. Oh my God, he's like Mussolini. He's basically like a dictator. He's evil. Never mind the fact that Joe Biden is the dictator. Joe Biden is acting like an authoritarian. His DOJ is politically persecuting his number one political opponent and trying to throw him in jail for life. <laughs> Never mind that all that's going on. And not just Donald Trump, you know, his children and all of his allies and January 6th grandmas who had the audacity to walk in the Capitol and walk in between the two stanchions and ropes of the, almost as if they were on a guided tour. He's throwing those people in jail for five, six, seven years. I mean, people who shook a fence Outside the White House, uh, they're part of the Proud Boys. I've told you on the show, I don't even know who the Proud Boys are, uh, but he shakes the fence and he gets two decades in prison where all of these pro-Hamas terrorists are outside the White House climbing the fences and hanging stuff on the fences and shaking the fences. Have you seen any of these assholes getting charged for anything? I mean, clearly, if you're watching this show, you're concerned about the direction of our country. You're concerned about what the Democrats are doing, how they're weaponizing the federal government against the American people. You're concerned about perhaps your grandchildren or your children not inheriting a country that is as rich with opportunity as all of us have known. I mean, I mean, that's why I'm doing this show. You know, I it's like radio free America, right? Like it feels like we're behind enemy lines all the time anymore. Um, and so while the media is out there desperately trying to paint Donald Trump as a dictator, I'm here to tell you that that could not be further from the truth. Not just on his record, right? I mean, you look at his record, he's the greatest peacetime president of my lifetime. And the things that he was able to get done in four short years in the White House, despite withering opposition from the Democrats and the media, and I mean, when I say opposition, I'm just ta- not talking about liberal media bias. I'm talking about full-out Trump derangement syndrome-motivated hoaxes. We all know what they are. Both impeachments were hoaxes. You know? Um, it's like the Mueller investigation, hoax. January 6th committee, hoax. The Russia PP tape collusion stuff, hoax. All of this stuff was made up. Hunter Biden lab, all the 51 intelligence officials that signed you know, that that document saying that Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation hoax. Have any of those people been held accountable? No. Have any of those people lost their security clearances? No. 
I mean, obviously, we're all seeing this, right? Like, we see how dangerous this is. We see how dangerous it's getting for all of us who just simply love this country. And so I wanted to show you this early on in the show. I say early on, we're halfway through already. I need more than an hour. <laughs> but I wanted to show you this early on. We, do we have uh, Trump's statement from, yeah, like, I, this is here on the screen. Certainly you can read it all for yourself, but I want to read it because I just think it's so indicative. It gives you a window into his mind. And uh, he says, my great sister, Marianne, passed away yesterday at the age of 86. A truly beautiful woman, tall and elegant, with a presence like no other. She was also a tremendous student, intellect, and judge in charge of the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, just below the U.S. Supreme Court. Her life was largely problem-free, perfect in all caps, until I made it, until I, and now just, I want you to think about this, the, you know, radical accountability here, something that is, is distinctly lacking on the Democrat side. They don't take accountability for anything. But here, President Trump is saying her life was perfect until I made it difficult for her when I decided to run for president. The fake news and others went after her mercilessly. And because of the fact that she felt it was inappropriate due to her position to defend herself, it just never stopped. While tough and strong, she was made to suffer in those years from 2016 until her retirement. I will never forget the many times people will come up to me and say, your sister was the smartest person on the court. I was always honored by that, but understood exactly what they meant. They were right. She was a great judge and a great sister. She will be truly missed. That is the President Trump that that I know, that I've had experience with. Um, there's this video today that Laura Trump posted of President Trump on Grandparents' Day. Now, this is a man that's being, the Biden administration is trying to throw this guy in prison for the rest of his life, throw his sons in prison. Letitia James in New York is trying to destroy Trump's legacy, trying to, the government is trying to essentially steal his fortune, his company, mil, hundreds of billions of dollars from Trump for no reason, for a victimless crime, fraud that was perpetrated on no one. Uh, they're trying to go after his friends, his allies, his family, his children. But here's Trump on the check out this video of Trump on Grandparents Day, walking his little granddaughter into school. Do we have it, David? Look at this. I'm sorry. That's real. That's real. You ever watch Biden or some of these Dems with kids? Biden's like chewing on kids, like biting their heads, sniffing them like a freaking creep, like talking about kids. Remember, remember Corn Pop? Uh, Corn Pop's a bad dude. And he, he used to be a lifeguard and rub his hairy legs in the pool and he has blonde hair and his hair stands up. I mean, remember all that creepy stuff? I mean, what you saw there from Trump is a side that the American people never see and a side that the media never shows you because it doesn't fit with the narrative. Like so many other things that, that, by the way, that are the truth, it doesn't fit with their narrative. So you never see it. And I wanted to show you that because, because they never show you this side of him. Yeah. Trump is, is full of bombast. <laughs> I know. Believe me, Trump says what he thinks. 
Does he always say the right thing? Probably not. Could he maybe soften the things that he says? Yeah, maybe. But guess what? I, it doesn't bother me at all. I was talking with my dad today I, I, you know, about the people out there. They're like, I just wish Trump wouldn't tweet or I just wish he wouldn't say this. I'm so over that. I am not electing this guy to date my daughter. I'm electing him to strike fear into the hearts of America's enemies. I'm electing him to, to make America strong to build up our military, to honor our police, to close the border. There have been 10 million people that have crossed the border since Joe Biden has been in office. 10 million, and that's just an estimate. The people that we've encountered, who the hell knows who made it in here that we're not tracking? I mean, under Trump, for example, in four years during Trump's presidency, like 435,000 people. Now it's something like 10 million. You know, I just want President Trump to fix this country, because I think he's the only person that can do it. But you are always told he's a dictator, he's evil, he's terrible, he's going to weaponize the government against his political opponents. Not only is that an absurd lie, it's insulting on a lot of different levels, but he didn't do it during his four, four years in the White House. In fact, much to the chagrin of many conservatives, he basically said, yeah, you know, I'm not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton because I don't think that that would be good for the, hunt, the country. I mean, hindsight being 2020, maybe he should have, you know, lock her up before the Democrats and high ranking Democrats lock all of us up. And I think that's what they're so afraid of, folks. I think they're so afraid of Trump getting back in the White House and making good on some uh, and making uh, holding people accountable, making good on the promises that he made from 2016, that the Democrats are pulling out all the stops to prevent that. You know, Trump didn't do those things in 2016. Again, Trump was the greatest peacetime president of my lifetime. Greatest economy this country has ever had in my lifetime. I mean, I even talked to people who lived through Reagan and people say that the economy under Trump was was just as good, if not better. You know, and I often wonder, I've talked about it on the show that, it, you know, it's a very different time today than it was in the 80s. And people talk about how Ronald Reagan was deeply loved. And by the way, I grew up watching Reagan's speeches. I was captivated by Ronald Reagan's speeches, especially the super cuts on YouTube where they're you know superimposed with like patriotic images or military stuff. That stuff gets me riled up. It's like it gets me pumped up. But I often wonder, would Trump have been as popular as Reagan in the eight if he were president in the 80s as opposed to today where the media is wholesale in the tank for the radical Democrats. And I mean completely in the tank for the radical Democrats to the point where they're not even coming anywhere close to pushing truth. They're not. They're just lying. They're just a trillion dollar super PAC for the Democrats that, that do the bidding of Joe Biden and high ranking Democrat officials. That's it. Like if you're a member of the media and you're willing to do that, you're good. You're in. We have a media that's wholesale. Uh, it's wholesale in on access. And, and because they're obsessed with access, they are afraid to hold any Democrats accountable for anything. And so wanted to show you that. Um, I'm going to talk to you about this article. I mean, Hunter Biden right now is seeking to subpoena Donald Trump in a gun in his gun case, which is insane for so many reasons. And I'll tell you about that in a second. But let me knock out one of these sponsors here real quick about American Alternative Assets. They're a sponsor of the show. Uh, Bidenomics is not working, obviously, and the U.S. dollar is losing value extraordinarily fast and your hard-earned savings are at risk. 
You can now act before it's too late with one straightforward, entirely legal tax loophole. Contact my friends at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide. Learn how to safeguard your wealth from a failing dollar and volatile markets with gold and silver IRAs. Dial 833, the number 2 USA Gold. That's 833-287-2465 or visit protectfrombiden.com because Joe Biden sucks and we definitely all need protection from that old, decrepit mouth breather. Uh, This invaluable guide will outline the precise steps you need to take immediately to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals, all without any tax consequences. So call 833, the number two USA gold. That's 833-287-2465 or visit protectfrombiden.com. Okay, so Hunter Biden. So Hunter Biden is subpoenaing Donald Trump, is going to try to subpoena Donald Trump in this gun charge case saying that the prosecution was politically motivated. Can you believe that? The prosecution of Hunter Biden for a federal gun charge that he himself admits he was stoned out of his gourd when he illegally got the gun and filled out the paperwork to illegally obtain a firearm when as a felon it was illegal to do so. He is now trying to blame that on Trump. This is just so bizarre that he's claiming he's a target of a politically driven prosecution. And the charges are unfairly motivated, politically motivated by Donald Trump, because Donald Trump tried to hold him accountable and the Biden family accountable for their ridiculous actions while he was in the White House. I, so this, I mean, seriously, it's, it's so, this is so egregious. This is so ridiculous for so many reasons, because again, the Democrats are just brazen with this stuff, aren't they? Here you have Hunter Biden who is a man that likely slept with underage girls that trafficked, you know, like prostitutes across state lines, which is essentially human trafficking and is also a crime, was sniffing crack or sniffing cocaine off of the butts of hookers, for God's sake. There's an entire laptop of him doing unbelievably illegal things that we know now is not Russian disinformation. We know that Hunter Biden took tens of millions of dollars from the communist Chinese, from the from Russian oligarchs, from Ukrainian ener- energy officials, despite not having any energy experience whatsoever. We know that Hunter Biden, we know these things. These are facts. These are indisputable facts, folks. We know that Hunter Biden didn't pay millions of dollars in his taxes. Now, folks, if you or I didn't pay millions of dollars in our taxes, do you think that we would have been shown any leniency whatsoever? Do you think the federal government would have given a damn about any of us? Absolutely not. Of course not. They would have thrown us, they'd thrown us in jail, locked us up and thrown away the key. But if you're Hunter Biden, you're given a pass. Why? Because you're the president's son. So who, he, he truly believes this. I, I mean, I'm not even sure that he believes it. Maybe I mean, he has to, right? But he truly believes that he's the target and not the beneficiary of preferential treatment. Because again, if you or I didn't pay millions of dollars on our federal taxes or on our taxes, we would be in jail. But if you're the president's son, if you're Hunter Biden, you get away with it scot-free. I mean, it's just unbelievably ridiculous how this is, this is the guy... Hunter Biden is a microcosm of all that's wrong with the American left. He does unbelievable things. He sets up these scenarios that cause him pain 
and then he pretends to be the victim, even though he was the one that caused these problems for himself with his bad behavior. And because he refuses to take accountability for any of it, he just prefers instead to blame Republicans and his dad's president, so he never gets blamed for any of it. Isn't that a nice grift that he has going on there? So I just, look, it's a strange thing. We're going to keep our eye on it for you all. But God, we the, like the world that we live in, folks, just gets more bizarre every day, doesn't it? Um, OK, so look, look, I want to talk a little bit about uh, bewaring of stock platitudes. And you saw the video of Steve Bannon yesterday freaking out on these journalists, Showtime journalists. I wanted we're, we got only got 20 minutes left in the show, um, but I want to show it to you very quickly and just recap this stuff because I want to talk specifically about what he does in this video that I didn't get enough opportunity to talk about at the end of the show yesterday. So go ahead and roll this tape with Steve Bannon. Well, the campaign, Donald Trump stood up at the, at the convention and said, I am your voice. And now Trump says, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Backward looking, vengeful, grievance driven. You know that the way people win in America is to talk about the future. They talk about the future. I'm so sick of the future. They talk about the voters. Sick of people say elections about the future. Yeah. That is total bullshit. Are they about the voters? It's about the lived experience of the voters. Yeah. Because the lived experience of their life sucks, and the reason it sucks is a fucking unfeeling uniparty in Washington D.C. that says, "Go fuck yourself. You're nothing but serfs, and we don't give a shit about you." So you Okay, so when I a lot of f bombs there, but Steve Bannon's exactly right. What he's doing, he is questioning what I like to call a stock platitude in politics. You know, a stock platitude is is something like, well, we need to defend, we need to kill terrorists there so that they don't kill us here. That platitude is not based on any intelligence. There's no data that backs that up. It's just a stock platitude rolled rolled out by. Someone in the intelligence community parroted by American politicians who are who don't dig any deeper into an issue and try to use we need to kill them there so that they don't attack us here as a pretext for forever war, for invading countries and for all cards on the table. I'm honest with you on this program. I believed in that in my 20s. At the height of the war in Afghanistan, I'm like, we're killing all these terrorists here because we don't want them in America. And, and maybe there is a, a, very, a small smidgen of truth to that. Maybe. Maybe. But it's not justification to invade a country. And you see presidential candidates talk about, namely Nikki Haley. I'm going to talk about her in a second. They trot out these stock platitudes with no information, no intelligence, no data to back them up. And people on our party just believe them. It's like that. It's like if you tell a lie over and over again. And enough times in a public way, it becomes truth. Well, what Steve Bannon is doing there and what I want you all to start doing as well and think like this if you're not already doing it, picking apart stock platitudes that you hear politicians regurgitate all the time. One of which was like right after the 2020 election, it's, it was this, voters don't want to relitigate the 2020 election. Uh, they, they, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about, they want to talk about other issues. There's so many issues that affect them. They don't want to talk about that. Well, the reality is what I learned from having, you know, run a campaign myself is that voters do care about the 2020 election. Voters do want to talk about it because voters see it as, as a two-part issue. One, if a wrong was done and that wrong is not righted, then criminals get away with it and don't get held accountable. And that's fundamentally anti-American. And two, 
if we don't fix what happened in 2020 or look at it and at least at a minimum learn what they did through open and honest dialogue, it will just happen again and again and again. But you heard Republican candidates and Republican incumbents all across this country. So people don't want to talk about 2020, but they do. Or how about this one? This is a real like all of these conventional stock platitude phrases that most of us have grown up with in politics. Or how about this? The party not holding the Oval Office does better, does does worse in midterm election. Or the party, okay, uh, I always mess this up. The party not in power, not in the Oval Office, does better in midterms. The party not in power that does not hold the Oval Office does better in midterms. So in other words, Biden's in the White House during the um, 2022 cycle. Theoretically, Republicans would do better at the ballot box, right? That's the conventional wisdom. That's the stock platitude. And all of these consultants who also do all of our polling, they think this way. They don't evolve the way that they think. So you see how this is all coming full circle now, right? There was a method to this madness, I promise. Um, But all that's thrown out the window. It's like people get used to trotting out these phrases and relying on them forever while not thinking why they're they're, they're believing these things in the first place, you know? And so why is that? Why is this stock platitude wrong? Well, mail-in ballots talk in specific swing states. It doesn't matter which one you're in. In Pennsylvania, the no excuse mail-in ballot law gives people an automatic opt-in. The Democrats during the highest voter turnout in history in the 2020 election, more people turned out for 2020 than in ever before in American history. The Democrats rolled out an automatic opt-in option for mail-in ballots during that cycle, which means when all these people were turning out, they were getting people to automatically opt in to receive a mail-in ballot for every single election moving forward for the rest of their lives, thereby giving the Democrats a floor of turnout. All they got to do is call these people. They got them on an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, look, this person automatically opted in. Why didn't you turn in your ballot? Sir, why didn't you turn in your ballot? Ma'am, are you going to mail in your ballot today? That's all they got to do. They don't have to knock any doors. They don't have to run any commercials. They have a floor and they build on that floor. So anytime you see consultants talk about, hey, look, it's a, or these political pundits or any of these, these mouth breathers in the media say, well, it's an off cycle election. Uh, Republicans should do better given the Democrats are in the white. No, it's wrong. It's not true. And Republicans are still trying to figure out what the hell happened in this last election cycle. They don't know because they haven't evolved the way that they think. The reason why Steve Bannon has such a huge following is because he is ahead of the power curve on a lot of these things. We talk about why the Republicans continue to lose. I mean, the Democrats, have I don't know if you all know this, but they've rolled out artificial intelligence with regards to capturing data when it comes to voters, where artificial intelligence can look at a, a, a set of voter registration data, right? Or Hey, look, Pennsylvania has, you know, X number of hunters or X number of people who are who are visiting free Palestine sites. Well, these hunters, they could be Republican voters. These people that go to free Palestine sites. Well, heck, these could be Democrat voters. They have AI already that is synthesizing that data and figuring out a way to get to those voters to register them. Republicans are still like knocking on doors and handing out leaflets. If we don't evolve the way that we think we die. We didn't evolve in combat. We were dead, literally. If we don't evolve here in America and evolve our thinking and learn to fight back, 
Republicans fight back. Tired of being the party of gentlemen losers, but if we don't evolve, we die. America dies. And that's something that I'm not willing, I'm not willing to allow happen here in this country. We've got to change the way that we think. So I don't want to like give you even less confidence than you have right now because Donald Trump can win this. We talk about it all the time on the show. He can win. In fact, he's polling above the margin of fraud in many of these swing states. Yeah, the Democrats are going to cheat, but they can only do it so much. Uh, but President Biden met with Xi today. We've got 12 minutes left on the program. Oh, my gosh, it's flying by. Um, Biden met with Xi today uh, of uh, the communist Chinese. He came to San Francisco and received almost a hero's welcome. Just go ahead and check this out. Watch this. Oh, One thing. Wrong video. It's it's a G gets a parade. Do we have it? Maybe. Get used to seeing that, folks, if, if Democrats continue to win. I mean, listen, that's San Francisco. That's an American town that, by the way, Gavin Newsom, think about this. Gavin Newsom cleaned up San Francisco for, the, for President Xi's arrival. Now, this is a man that in 2023 is like Hitler was in the 1940s. This is a man that puts tens of thousands, millions of people in his own country in concentration camps and tortures them, rapes them, kills them. He's evil, diametrically opposed to our way of life. And Gavin Newsom and the Democrat Party are giving this man a hero's welcome, a parade in San Francisco where Chinese flags are waving. And it's like, like why? You, can you ever think of that of something like that happening under Donald Trump? Would you think he would ever allow that? Absolutely not. It's insulting. I mean, think about it. If you're a taxpayer in San Francisco, I mean, I, I, why you would be a Republican still living in San Francisco or even an independent, I don't know. That city is clearly lost. But think about this. Gavin Newsom cleaned up the city for a brutal dictator, but didn't really give a damn about cleaning up the city for the taxpayers. <laughs> like, What the hell's going on with that? Everything in our world is upside down and it's all made possible because of the weakness of Joe Biden. And President Xi met with Joe Biden today, and the meeting was a complete and total embarrassment for this country because all this video came out. I'm not going to bore you with it because really it's just Biden sitting in a meeting with President Xi with a blank stare on his a blank stare on his face, a thousand yard stare, smiling off into the distance. One wonders if he even knows what the hell the conversation's all about. I can't imagine that that strikes fear into the heart of President Xi, who is our greatest geopolitical foe. China, the communist Chinese, is the greatest threat that we've faced as a nation probably in a very, very, very long time. And today, President Xi got to look across the table at an animated corpse, you know, clearly a mouth breather, but an animated corpse of a human being across the table from him who couldn't even string together a coherent sentence in those meetings. If you don't believe me, go look up the videos on your own. 
uh, frankly, not just an embarrassment for the Democrat Party, but they're an embarrassment for all of our country. And, and I got to believe it simply does nothing but embolden President Xi to and, and definitely invade Taiwan before the end of Joe Biden's presidency. Bank on that. That's going to happen in the next year. I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm wrong, but I think that it, I, I think that I'm right. Um, OK, I got to get to Nikki Haley here. Um, she came up with probably <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. And I she came up with one of the worst ideas in the history of the world about doxing basically everybody on social media, saying that you have to you're, you have to you have to. Everybody needs to be verified. Names verified. Now, think about this. Nikki Haley, if, if, if she were alive during the time of our founders, silence, do good. You know, Benjamin Franklin's pen name, Benjamin Franklin wouldn't have been able to post, you know, any, like any of the anonymous articles written under pseudonyms. I mean, our founders would be rolling over in their graves that a mainstream Republican presidential candidate is advocating for stuff like this. But so this just I talk all the time on the show about being ready for the moment as a Republican. And I look through that lens when I evaluate Republican candidates. Is this a guy or gal that truly gets it? that understands where we are as a country, that the weaponization of the federal government is the greatest threat that we as Americans face today because it's not a problem that will self-correct. You know, because bureaucracies, if you've ever worked for one, you know that they circle the wagons to protect themselves, right? They, like, for example, the VA secret waitlist scandal, when we exposed that scandal, like the VA denied ever having a secret wait list while veterans were killing themselves waiting for medical care. The VA denied it. All their bureaucrats, all their elected, elected officials circled their wagons around the bureaucracy. Bureaucracies don't hold themselves accountable. They don't. So this unstop, this, this freight train that's rolling down the railroad tracks, it's unstoppable. The freight train of the weaponization of the federal government against the American people. It will not self-correct. It's a behemoth that will keep on rolling. And so her talking about making everybody public, I mean, I just saw this crazy tweet from Clay Travis talking about how he paid millions of dollars of taxes over the last couple of years and the Biden, and he's audited multiple times now that he's an out conservative and he's a radio host now and he's not just a sports guy. And, you know, the Biden administration, despite Clay Travis, you know, spending tens of probably over $10 million in taxes over the last several years. They sent him a bill for $34 and said that he underpaid. I mean, it's like absolutely ridiculous. But if the federal government learns who all of us are, now I, the hope is lost for me. I mean, everyone knows who I am, which is why most Democrats in Pennsylvania are gunning for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not literally, at least I hope not. Um, but I mean, many people who just, you want to you say you say you're listening to the show at work and you're, you got a pseudonym in the live chat or you want to write an article and you want to remain anonymous or you're you're operating under a pen name on social media. I mean, we live at a time, folks, where you could get fired for your political beliefs. You could get canceled. Your kid's life could get destroyed. We saw this kid, eighth grade kid yesterday. We talked about it yesterday. Kid wearing eye black was banned from all sporting events. An eighth grader because I said he was wearing blackface. This is the country that we live in. And we've got Nikki Haley out there talking about doxing conservatives when we're up against the behemoth of the radical left, a weaponized Department of Justice and the behemoth that is a federal government hell bent on throwing conservatives in jail. And she thinks this is a good idea. 
I mean, honest to God, folks, and 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 all the terrible ideas that I've heard on a campaign. I mean, I guess, I mean, this one has to take the cake. But I guess I will say that conservatives, like, it was so funny that when she talked about it, not only Nikki Haley said this once on Fox News, and then she said it again on the Ruthless Podcast, which is a podcast with Josh Holmes and a bunch of guys that give insider stuff, insider baseball, in, in inside the Beltway. They're they're good guys. But she doubled down it, doubled down on this ridiculous idea on their show too. So I guess. I take some solace in the fact that almost every conservative universally on Twitter at the exact same time she said it was like, ah, this is a terrible idea. It's contrary to the founding of our country. All of the founders would have been thrown in prison if you actually got your way and did this stuff. So I guess, I mean, let's see what happens with Nikki Haley. I, I mean, it should scare you a little bit that, you know, even though Trump is up like 50 points over her, she is, she is beating DeSantis now. And now is, I think, overall in second place in the race. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, we could, so anyway, look, we're, we're at the end of the show. I, I sort of talked most of the time, but I'm so grateful to have all of you here. Um, we got a, an amazing show tomorrow. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Republicans caving again. Um, cause look, you know, Mike Johnson talked about Mike Johnson on the show a lot and, in in the Gates gambit and the removal of McCarthy. And, you know, I gave you straight facts on this. Even if people didn't like it, I tried to tell you what was going to happen. Um, but hey, we got a good speaker in Mike Johnson, a good conservative guy. Well, he just caved and put forth a continuing resolution that doesn't have any spending cuts at all. Temporary, take us to January, but no spending cuts whatsoever. So the weaponization of the federal government, still going to happen for the next several months. Uh, the invasion at our southern border, still going to happen for the next several months. Uh, all of these weaponized prosecutions against Donald Trump. Oh, a special prosecutor, beady-eyed, mouth-breathing Jack Smith. Yeah, he's still going to get funding, too. So, Republicans, would you please stop caving? Please, for the love of God, fight back passionately against the Democrats like the Democrats fight against you. I mean, the Democrats aren't afraid of you. They don't care about you. The Democrats know you're going to cave. So stand up and fight for something before it's too late. So anyway, if you've made it through this full hour, make sure you like this video. It matters a lot. I want to thank you all so much for watching this show. I mean, I talked most of the time. Thank you for going on that personal journey with me today, talking about Jeff Hall. Um, subscribe to Red Voice Media. Got Drew Burquist up next from 6 to 9. He's a hell of a guy, hell of a conservative. Check him out and subscribe to this show. Anyways, thank you for watching Battleground Live. God bless you all, and God bless this amazing country that we live in. We will see you tomorrow. Take care. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.